Welcome to The Matt Haycock Show, a podcast about business, money and life. Matt has been making money and making mistakes for over 20 years. And in this podcast, he shares his thoughts and stories so you can improve your business, finances and life whilst hopefully avoiding the mistakes he and others have made along the way. Listen in and level up. Now, you're still going to make mistakes. Ultimately, Matt, in any business, people are going to pull the wool over your eyes at, at some point, and you're going to hire some people that you'll, you'll go two months later, damn, that was the wrong choice. But I think if you've got that robust recruitment process across the whole business, especially in the tech side of things, then that's the best place you can be at the outset. Hey, guys, it's Matt Haycox here. And today I am trying some new technology, making the most of the corona crisis to further my knowledge with all things tech. I've come to terms with Zoom and I'm now I'm now using uh, Yardstream, StreamYard, I think it's called. Uh, but uh, we, we're tr- trying to keep the podcast moving, trying to keep the quantity of content coming out to you guys. So today I have got with me James Tucker. Uh, and James uh, is a, a tech expert and set up a tech company to disrupt the archaic mortgage sourcing industry. Sounds very fancy and very boring, but I assure you it's super interesting. James is going to make it sound even more interesting, but more importantly, it affects all of us, whether we're buying, selling, uh, business owners, employees, or renters. Uh, and you know, James has got some really interesting things to talk about, both around building his company, uh, running a tech business in the UK, and also the state of the mortgage and the property markets in general. So it's great to have him here. You guys should really make the most of being able to ask him some questions while this is live. Um, James, thanks for joining me, buddy. You're very welcome, Matt. Thank you for having me. Do you want to uh, do, you, do you want to give us a, a little bit of background uh, that, that, I, that I haven't covered and kind of tell us, tell us how you got to where you are today and uh, on what initially sparked your interest in this area? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I used to work in uh, venture capital, uh, private equity, a little bit like yourself. Um, and back in 2012, 2013, we were looking at a range of different businesses in different markets, in education, in finance, in recruitment as well, and trying to identify opportunities where we felt the incumbent players in that market, and in particular, the impact of those incumbent players upon the ultimate end customer, wasn't really working in the way that potentially it could do if you adopted modern technology. So one of the areas that we looked at was the mortgage industry. And I think people who are familiar with getting a mortgage back, you know, five, six, seven years ago now, as in fairness, it's not that dissimilar today in some respects. You know, you'd, you'd sit through a two or three hour meeting with your mortgage broker. You'd wait two weeks to hear from the bank as to whether or not you're going to say yes. It was an incredibly laborious, time consuming and, and very frustrating process. And a lot of that wasn't necessarily to do with the person you were sat in front of. It was to do with the technology in the banks enable them to make decisions around lending. And it was also to do with the technology that the brokers themselves were using to try and find the right product for you. So what we did initially was to build um, what was ultimately a, a search engine for mortgages, if you like, a way that a broker or indeed a customer themselves could go on and enter information about themselves, which would enable them to see what mortgages they're likely to be eligible for, and therefore what mortgages they're likely to ultimately get to help them buy that property they're keen for, to, to buy. And Matt, that's where we started off. Okay. And so, so as the man on the street who is who is out there looking to get a mortgage, he, he would never actually come across your product, probably, would he? No, he wouldn't. The, the majority of uh, the services that we provide are provided directly to the mortgage brokers themselves, uh, but also to the lenders too. We do work with a number of the comparison sites, so we tend to provide the back end technology to those sites. 
So you may have some customers who go on the likes of Uswitch, places like that. They use the search services on uh, on those sites for mortgages. That's powered by ourselves, but they wouldn't necessarily know that we're there. It's, it's clearly the, the consumer-facing brand of the likes of Uswitch that the customer's familiar with. What kind of tips have you got for somebody who's who's out there looking to get a mortgage who is using a mortgage broker? Because one of the things I often talk about is that you know people have almost like blind faith and and you know the utmost respect for their lawyers, for their accountants, you know, for, for for their people in professional services because you know I think there's almost this natural preconception i would say misconception that because you know because someone has some letters after the name or has achieved a, you know a certificate uh, that they are you know the font of knowledge for that particular area and you know i i'm a big advocate for the fact that it's a very dangerous uh, you know route to go down you know with, with a lawyer with an accountant you know not having at least some degree of high level knowledge yourself you know to, to, to be able to interact in a conversation with them and i would assume that that same logic applies to a mortgage broker i mean it, whilst a customer so whilst an end user may not actually get to access your product or or, or know much about it are, are there are there any ways that uh, they, they could have extra knowledge to know that their mortgage broker really is doing everything possible to get them the right product, you know, isn't, and they're not getting the wool pulled over their eyes. Yeah, so I, I think there's two things that every customer can do, uh, obviously, to help themselves in this process. And, and number one, as you say, Matt, is to familiarize yourself a little bit with what products are out there, what the best rates are, what the criteria is for those products, and to what extent you may or may not be eligible for them based upon what you can find on the likes of Money Supermarket, Uswitch, et cetera. The second thing you can do is obviously use review sites like Trustpilot. So if you're looking at using a mortgage break, broker, you know, do some research on that, that individual, that firm. Try and find somebody that's got great reviews before you talk to them and understand a little bit of background about them. But but I would say, though, and, and as a business and for me personally, this is true. You know, we're very big advocates of advice. And I think if you look at the complexity of circumstances that we see now in the general populace in the UK, particularly the self-employed contractors, people with adverse credit, you know, getting advice in those circumstances is really, really important. And there are there are far more important things potentially in selecting the right product than just the rate. There's a lot of other factors that come in, and that's where if you can find yourself a really great broker, they'll give you that extra service, and they'll really help you find the right products and save you money in the long term. Okay, fantastic. And and, and where is the where is the UK mortgage market at right now? You know, I, I mean, and probably I'll, I'll ask you that question both. Where is it a month ago, <laughs> uh, and, and where is it now after after the Corona crisis is starting to kick in? Uh, so about a month ago, we were reporting, and most of our our firms were reporting. A record first quarter. I think we were looking at some very significant uh, full year lending figures for the wider market. Now, we obviously track all the activity in our system. Over the course of the past month, we've seen a 40% decline um, in search volumes for our broker users. That's a very significant drop, and we've not seen anything like that before. Even in 2008, that decline was never that severe, and it certainly didn't come at the pace that it's come this time. That being said, um, remortgage is still holding up very well. So we've seen a big swing from clearly a lot of purchase business being done. Typically, that's 55% of the market. Now you're seeing about 70, 75% of searches are all to do with remortgages. So I think the mortgage market in, in respect of lenders and brokers has switched to where the opportunity to service customers still is, which is in the remortgage and product transfer space. Clearly, the purchase space right now is, is very challenging. You can't view a house, you can't see your stage agent, you can't get a valuation done on that property. It's going to be very difficult to complete that transaction. But the market is holding up at a, at a reasonable level now. 
Well, that, that's what I was going to come on to, really, insofar as, um, you know, purchase or remortgage. You know, ultimately, how is how is that case going to get transacted? I mean, obviously, my day my day job is in the commercial mortgage space. Uh, well, sorry, in the commercial finance space, you know, a, a lot of which includes bridging finance. And, and a, a lot of the lenders that I, I either work with or who may be my peers are moving to the likes of desktop valuations, you know, obviously, you know, low, lower loan to values uh, and, and all, all kinds of other things such as, um, you know, w working on uh, FaceTime, independent uh, legal advice, you know, all, 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 I guess all workarounds. But, you know, but, but, but they are... I wouldn't say the workarounds in its entirety. It's a way to kind of keep the wheels moving to a degree, but uh, you know, but certainly not anything like the pace, the pace it was beforehand. I mean, are some of these techniques moving into moving into the mainstream residential mortgage market, or are you actually just really seeing it on hold that you know that no one is able to transact until this until this problem is over and lockdowns finished? I think the lenders have, have woken up to the fact that AVMs, which is automated valuations and desktop valuations, you know, if those are implemented in their businesses successfully, that can provide a good option for them at this time. I think part of the challenge they've got right now, and, and we all have ultimately, is it's very difficult to gauge where the property market is going to land in terms of the potential decrease in value. So if you're looking, for example, at an automated valuation model, that model was fantastic a month ago. In the coronavirus environment, it's very difficult to gauge whether that model is now 5%, 10%, 20% out. So I think lenders are moving in that direction and looking to utilize those solutions more. But at the same time, they'll have to balance that with the additional risk that they then may be taking by moving to more of an automated valuation model. Okay, and so I'm just, I'm just looking in the comment box as well. Well, while we're doing this, James Clink saying, you know, exactly the trouble I'm having with my mortgage application at the moment. You know, surveyors not doing inspections or or, or, or willing to do um, willing to do desktops. I mean, have have you have you actually seen decre decreases in valuations happen yet, or, or are you just actually not seeing the valuations happen full stop? Uh, we've seen a very significant decrease in valuation. So we've got relationships across the industry. Um, with the likes of home track, um, legal and general surveyors, you know, we can see very clearly ourselves from the conversation we've had with them that those guys simply are not able to go out there and do surveys right now. So sorry. any, any uh, sorry, I probably, on, probably didn't ask my question probably. What what I meant is, are you are you actually seeing a physical drop in value in in the price in, in the price of value, valuations, the the, uh, the property rather? The, the answer is no, not yet. I, I think where we, where people are transacting at the moment and they've got a deal going through that perhaps they started a month or two ago, which is still in the process. Clearly, there's question marks over to whether whether or not people should go through with that deal. And I think we're seeing some deals drop off from the brokers that we've been speaking to. But in the main, you know, given that your property is ultimately a long term purchase, I think the majority of advice that's still coming out from the market is, look, if, if you're confident that you can afford the mortgage you're taking out and the property is the property that you want, whether the short term dip is five or 10 percent in value or maybe it's nothing, ultimately won't make that much difference to you if you're viewing this as a 20, 25 year purchase. Clearly, mm -hmm. if it's a, a one year deal and you're looking to sell the property very quickly, well, then you've got to consider what your margin is, what your profit opportunity is and whether now is the right time to be doing that deal. Okay, fantastic. I want to I want to go and talk about a, a few more generic things now, really, to do, you know, to do with you growing growing your business. Um, and and I, and I guess um, you know the the first thing for me is how how have you how have you found uh, you know just the the actual concept of grow, growing a tech company uh, you know in in today's world you know scaling up to the fifty employees that you've got now uh, and, and what what kind of 
pitfalls and problems you've found along the way and, uh, and what advice you've got for our, our listener base of, of how to overcome that themselves. <laughs> uh, how long have you got? Um, so I, I think the first thing I'd have to confess on is that I'm not the tech genius in all of this. So, so I'm very lucky. I've got a, a great team behind me, and we've got a fantastic team. With that. I've renounced you as a tech genius three or four times. <laughs> you should just roll with it. <laughs> By comparison, Matt, I might be, but but not as so far as it comes to writing code. Uh, so, so the first thing you do if you're going to build a tech business, you, you've got to make sure that the people you're working with, from a tech perspective, if you're not the tech person, are absolutely as good as you can find, and they completely know what you're doing, and also that they really buy into what it is you're trying to achieve. You know, there's a lot of developers in the market right now, and you know, it's very easy to recruit them. But finding people who really buy into your mission as a business is, is something very different. So our CTO, Paul, and I, you know, we founded a business together five and a half years ago. He's been here from the outset. So with his technical knowledge and the work that I've done in kind of understanding the market and trying to drive the direction of the product, we've been able to create a platform that, from a technical perspective, is, is what our users want, but also in terms of what it needs to do in the market and deliver to our customers has been the right solution for them. So I definitely say that's a that's a key point. Make sure you've got those two elements, the sales and product strategy, but also the tech side of it as well. Tell me, yeah, generic question here. But as, as someone who is, has always struggled with, let's say, you know, tech people, and not, not just tech people, I, I think this, this, this goes a little bit back to the comment I made earlier about, uh, you know, people having blind faith in their accountants and their lawyers, et cetera. You know, one of the things I always talk about is the fact that I think it's super important to have as much knowledge of every specific area of your business as possible uh, you know, so, so that people can't pull the wool over your eyes. And, you know, what one area I see it in all the time when we're lending is you know di uh, owners and directors of businesses where we'll be working through their accounts and bank statements go to them to ask them a question about something that's come up and we just get de facto referred to you know to their external accountant or fd saying i don't deal with the figures i don't understand that speak to my accountant about it and obviously you know when, when, I, when i'm talking to businesses or advising people in general i always talk about what an absolutely you know lose statement that is uh, you know to, to, to not to not have at least a high level understanding of your accounts you know i'm not saying you necessarily need to be qualified to be able to be able to build them up from the ground upwards but you know you've got to you've got to be able to un, you know understand the general principles but i guess what you know one of the problems with tech is you know very similar to accounts but i'd say probably even potentially deeper is it's so easy uh, to get waffled and have the wool pulled over your eyes you know when you talk about like seo and pay-per-click even never mind developing developing websites you know unless and um, as a layman you really haven't got a clue uh, i mean i mean what you know what kind of advice have you got to people who are because tech is such a massive part of any business now that i guess you know m m most businesses who want to scale or to, to go with the times need to bring some kind of tech element in i mean how do you know if you're getting spanked or not yeah, it, it's a really great question, Matt. From, from a tech perspective, you know, it's where your recruitment process is so, so important. So when you go through the, the process of hiring a developer, and, and like I said earlier, you know, there's a lot of developers out there. They all claim to have different specialties. They all claim to be the best developer that you're ever going to meet. And they're all wonderful, fantastic at their job. You know, you've got to make sure that when you bring that person along for the interview process, you, you've got a robust process which identifies the skills that they think they've got, the skills they tell you they've got and a way for you to test and check that that's actually the case. So we have a range of testing in place that we put our, our candidates through to make sure that we can identify that the things they're telling us about what they're good about are actually true. And I think for us, that's worked well in respect of making sure that 
when a developer does get to the end of that interview process, we've got as much information about them as possible to make us confident that that person is the right person for the job. Now, you're still going to make mistakes. Ultimately, Matt, in any business, people are going to pull the wool over your eyes at, at some point and you're going to hire some people that you'll, you'll go two months later, damn, that was the wrong choice. But I think if you've got that robust recruitment process across the whole business, especially in the tech side of things, then that's the best place you can be at the outset. Now, you've built this business. I think you're from a Bournemouth base. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah, our, our main office is down in Bournemouth. So so, so the, the, the whole team's down there, is it? Or, or is that, that just yourself? Uh, so we've got about 30 people down here in Bournemouth. Uh, we've got about 12 people out on the road. And interestingly, we've actually got a bunch of developers out in Toronto in Canada. So I guess uh, quite quite topical now than you know, dealing dealing with a, re a remote workforce. I mean, it's, it's obviously some, something you've you've done up to now anyway with the Toronto side of things. What uh, what tips have you got for people who are getting thrown at the thrown in at the deep end now, having to manage their workforce, uh, you know, re remotely, never being equipped with the you know with the tools and techniques to do it? I mean, have you have you struggled initially, you know, with that concept, and have you, have you found some, uh, some some good ways to manage it? So I, th I think from an operational perspective, we're really lucky because, you know, given the kind of the banks and people that we deal with, we have to have disaster recovery policies in place. So for us, making the shift to moving 50 people to work from home was quite an easy thing to do. You know, the challenge comes culturally, as you say, Matt, you know, how do you motivate and how do you keep people engaged when you know, they're not seeing each other anymore? They've got their kids at home with them, got their partner at home with them. They've got a whole load of new new challenges to face. Uh, I think the key thing I'd say is, is probably twofold. Number one. As a leadership team and, and as a board, as a senior management team, you should be over communicating with your people right now. So all of our leadership teams are having regular communications with their, their colleagues. They're talking to them on a daily basis. We've also got a head of people who make sure, make sure she speaks to every single member of our business once a week just to check in with them. And I think that's designed really to give people the opportunity to, A, if they need it, search for us to provide them some further information about how things are going with the business, how secure or not their job may be. And, and we're lucky that all of our people's jobs are secure. So that's great. And also just to give them that that touch point to make them feel that, you know, if they need a bit of extra help, a bit of extra support, need a day off because they're struggling with childcare, whatever that might be, we can accommodate that. I think the, the second thing I'd say is, you know, if, if you've got a strong culture in your business and you've got values, you know, now's the real time to, to make sure that you're maintaining that culture and you're living those values, whatever they may be. You know, we have a number of values across the business that, that apply to us there, making sure we always deliver, making sure that we're doing the things that we say we're going to do. And, and we've reiterated to the team during this time that those values are still still holding true for us. You know, we still want to make sure that all the things we say we're going to do for our customers, we're going to keep doing. Do you think that when this is over, you will all go back to the office as normal as you left? Or, or, or do, you, do you think it's, it's kind of opened, uh, opened your mind a bit to the fact that uh, you, you could have a partially remote UK workforce as well as a Toronto team? I think we, we had flexible working in place um, prior to this crisis to an extent. And clearly we had the guys in Toronto as well. Uh, I think this will encourage us to look to extend that flexible working policy as I think it will do for every business in the UK where this has been successful. I think we've certainly seen across our IT team here in the UK that this has been a great exercise for them. They're perfectly capable of working from home on a regular basis. You know, we like having people in the office because it's that that sense of community, that sense of working as a team. But, yeah, I, I think our working practice, along with everybody else's, will change over time through this. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I've I've almost become, uh, you know, the the um, uh, I guess a, a self um, self 
what's the word, um, appointed advocate for, um, for, for, for the concept of working from home, remote remote offices, distributed workforce, et cetera. And I'm someone who was so, so, so against you know, anyone not being almost like chained to their desk. I mean, you know, for 20 years, you know, I've I've thought that is the only way because I've just been taken advantage of left, right and centre by you know, anyone who, who I've allowed to work outside of the office. Uh, yeah. But I've completely got my head around it now. And I think, you know, I mean, our lease just coincidentally is, is up at the end of June anyway. Uh, and we will definitely not be going back into into a long-term lease physical office, office space. You know, we'll, we'll be going back to, um, back to a serviced environment, uh, you know, We'll, we'll definitely be having some flexibility with our existing employees in terms of work from home, work from the office. And I've now completely got my head around the fact that, you know, we've really got access to a global talent pool. And I guess for, for someone like yourself you know, running a tech business, I mean, obviously you, you, you've got the guys in Toronto anyway, but uh, you know, it, it gives you fantastic access to, pe- to people the world over, which is, is paramount for tech, isn't it? It does. Yeah. I mean, if you look at your, you know, when, when you're a small business and you're growing and you're competing in the market, that we were competing, for example, where you're competing against some very big businesses for talent. You know, you've got to find ways to differentiate your proposition as an employer. And one of the things increasingly, especially now that people are going to look for is, OK, what's your flexible working policy? Can I work from home one, two days a week? Do I just have core hours between, let's say, 10 and 2? And can I come and go a bit more in between that? I think that's a great way now to, to differentiate your business and help you recruit the people that you, you're going to want to recruit if you're not necessarily paying the top money that perhaps people in London might be paying. Cool. Well, I think that's a that's a happy note for us to finish on, rather than rather than the doom and gloom of the uh, of, of the of the UK property market right now. So, uh, I want to say, you know, th- thanks a lot for taking the time out uh, to, to to be with us. I'm, I'm sure I'm sure you're busy and inundated with a whole manner of new problems, James. But uh, yeah, it's been great great to have you here, and and thanks for helping me test my new tech. <laughs> you did well, Matt. You did well. Worked perfectly. Well, <laughs> I don't I don't know if it's recorded yet. <laughs> but th- thank you very much, James. Thanks. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Matt Haycock Show. For more Matt, check out his YouTube channel. That's youtube.com forward slash Matt Haycox. Or go stalk him on Instagram and Twitter, the Matt Haycox. And we'll see you soon.